This is Dylan. This is Nick. And you're listening to We come to you in the midst of this crazy epidemic that we know as the coronavirus quarantine. We are sitting approximately six feet apart. We are not sharing any equipment. We are following all quarantine guidelines within the boundaries of the state of Alabama. And we're happy to come to you here today. Yeah, Dylan, it's been really crazy, I had to say. I So for our, our four listeners here, just for them to get a visual of where we are right now, because of the coronavirus, we're literally sitting out on Dan Fox, our producer's front porch, um, with socks on the mics, just to make sure we don't spit on them uh, to get them contaminated. I'm sure we're getting some dirty looks as people walk across, drive by and, uh, and notice what in the world we're doing with these socks and that we're talking into. So anyway, uh, we're doing the best we can. We're pumped. And Nick, as I told you earlier, I cannot remember if these socks are from my clean clothes or my dirty clothes pile. <laughs> but yeah, we're hoping they're from the clean clothes pile. Yeah, I definitely put my nose into them earlier, so we'll see if I get sick or not. But oh yeah, well. Yeah, it's all right. We'll... We'll be fine. We'll be fine for sure. So, Nick, why don't you tell us a little bit? What's what's the point of this? What are we doing here? Yeah, I'm not really sure. No, I <laughs> I was uh, texting you know Dylan and Dan the other day, and I just you know popped into my mind while I was sitting there in all my free time and said, "Hey, let's just start up a podcast." I think maybe the biggest thing in in my mind is I know there was a couple years you know when I moved back to my hometown Huntsville here and just feeling really lonely and disconnected with, uh, you know, any sort of community, but the Catholic community in particular. And I don't know, I feel like there are, you know, times when I found you know, solace in the podcast that I was listening to, um, just being able to be connected with people like Bishop Barron or, you know, Matt Fratt or people that were really, you know, engaging the, um, engaging people in conversation uh, through this, this form of media. So I feel like it's just a really important tool to be able to do that to, I don't know, make people feel like they're engaging in conversation with people their age, you know, whether they otherwise wouldn't be able to, and, you know, to be able to talk about things that matter. So, yeah, yeah. there's, there's something really powerful about a conversation, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, I, there's not many more things that fill me up than having just a, a conversation about things that are important. So looking forward to, to spreading that, um, bringing that to our community. Yeah. And that's our, you know, our name is colloquium and in Latin, that means what does it mean? Nick? Conversation. Conversation. That's right. <laughs> Colloquium means conversation. That's why we're doing what we're doing. We want to spark good, really transformative conversation. I think we both believe that conversation does have this power to transform people. Yeah, I think too, just to, just to jump in again, I, I know people in our you know, society, I know it's a broad generalization, but they have the ability to have a conversation, you know, whether it be about sports or you know, work or the nice weather outside or whatever it is. But I feel like just one thing that, again, to emphasize that we want to get out of this podcast is to just talk about things that are actually going to fill us and make us more human. Um, right. Speaking of being more human, who are we? <laughs> I'll tell you what, we're human beings, I think. We are both human <laughs> beings. Uh, Nick and I both are former Focus missionaries. So we both spent two years um, doing college ministry, um, serving and preaching the gospel on college campuses. I spent my time in Colorado at Colorado State University. Go Rams. Nick, where did you spend your time in Focus? Uh, so I spent my time at Ave Maria University in um, South Florida. Go Gyrenes. Uh, <laughs> I won't get what? into what a gyrene is, but whatever. We'll move okay. on from there. Okay. Yeah, South Florida, Ave Maria University. Yeah. Ave Maria. Wait, so you were a missionary at a Catholic <laughs> university. No, the classic question, yeah. Why on earth was I there? 
You know, it was kind of a head-to-heart sort of evangelization, and I'll kind of explain what I mean um, just quickly. Um, I feel like there's a lot of, at Ave Maria and at Catholic schools in general, there's a lot of sort of intellectual knowledge about the faith and about mm-hmm. the Lord. Um, I think more of our ministry as missionaries at Ave Maria was transferring that kind of head knowledge to a more, you know, personal relationship with Jesus, um, which is difficult, I think. I think even more so difficult than um, reaching someone who doesn't really know Jesus at all. I think it's a slower and, you know, harder conversion from head to heart as opposed from nothing to heart, if you will. So anyway. Yeah, absolutely. That's, that's so crucial. And I think one thing Nick and I have definitely spent a lot of time talking about, you know, in focus, one of the things that's really emphasized is, yeah, when you're, when you're a disciple of Christ, you're a missionary um, and you're a missionary disciple for life. Mm-hmm. So it's not something, you know, we did two years of college ministry. Um, but to be honest, I myself in the last year, since I've been outside of focus, have felt more on mission than when I was in focus. Mm-hmm. Um, because the, that's because the Lord has me in a place where I know I'm doing his will and really living out of the person I'm called to be. And that's been a really powerful experience, whether that's, you know, I teach high school, I teach theology, and whether that's really helping form the ninth graders that I teach in their faith life, or just spending time with young adult Catholics in Huntsville. Um, You know, we started a men's group. We're fairly active in the young adult community here. And it's, yeah, it's just powerful to, to just be able to start conversations. And I think we've seen... That was one of our goals when, you know, I moved back here to Huntsville and we talked a lot about, yeah, like what's going on. And, you know, Nick just felt like something was missing and and really missing a sense of community. And I think together we've really been able to work at starting conversations, I think, um, and building community and fostering authentic community through conversation. Would you say so? Right. Absolutely. Yeah. I think before, um, before Dylan moved into town, no, let's <laughs> just say it. You missed me. You're lonely. <laughs> no, before before Dylan moved into town, I was here a couple years before him. I'm I'm two years his senior, so you know, just older and wiser. <laughs> I think there was just I knew I needed to evangelize and you know form community and just engage myself in that way. But there was just this wall, this is kind of inability to do so. You know, I was I was praying and. You know, I was a high school teacher for, you know, a year that time. And um, so I had like a kind of a very evangelical job, you know, where I had the opportunity to reach, you know, people. Um, and I just felt like without that, that, you know, going two by two without that second person there, it was just there was some like wall or something that was inhibiting me from from going forward and really being the best version of myself in that way. So um, anyway, um, having a brother and you know, having a community is so important to be able to be missionaries like we're called to. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. And we would be remiss to not mention there's a third member of our team and we know him as producer Dan. Ah, producer Dan. I I believe that every good podcast or radio show has a producer who is both smarter, funnier, and better looking than the two hosts. (laughs) Somehow he's not the one talking. Yeah, Dan is, um, well, he's, he's funnier and he's smarter. But he's not better looking. Um, <laughs> some might say he he has the face for radio, and I think that's absolutely true. You know, Dylan, I'm not so sure. I will say this, though. Um, I've done it. This is our first podcast, and about 10 times now, we've been talking for, what, 10 minutes? And I think about every time I say something, I try to look over to Dan to see if what I said was a good thing to say. But anyway, he's given me a couple of affirmations here and there so far. So yeah. he's doing a good job back yeah. there. All right. 
Nick's jokes aren't funny. We're just gonna. <laughs> okay. He he looks. He seeks affirmation a lot, but in the reality, he yeah, he isn't all that funny. Oh no, oh no, he did it. <laughs> Sorry, I just had to get a sip of tea there. We told Nick not to slurp. <laughs> yes, we are drinking tea. Um, not because we are teetotalers. Well, not because I'm a teetotaler, but I will say that Nick is a teetotaler. Um, one of the first things I like people to know about him is that um, he doesn't drink alcohol at all. Um, mainly just because he can't, his body can't process it. It's weird. Tell us more about that, Nick. Yeah, thanks, Dylan. Now I have to explain myself. Yeah. I, should I? Anyway, I am... Um, so yeah, I don't know if it's been a year or so, but I just have an absolute intol- intolerance for alcohol. I just, when I take a sip or two, I'm just instantly feeling it. I have no idea whether that's genetic or just, I, I don't know. I, maybe I'm that much of a lightweight. <laughs> anyway, yeah. thanks However, for one thing, me. One thing I admire about Nick in the midst of that is rather than, you know, continue to drink and out of moderate, like out of moderation or not in moderation, not within the bounds of moderation. What am I trying to say here? <laughs> Who knows? He chooses to abstain for the sake of his own sobriety right. because Nick is a virtuous person. <laughs> Thanks. Usually what happens though, Dylan is, um, about, you know, five times in a row, I would go to a bar and say, all right, this time, this time I'm going to be able to drink. And I buy a $5 beer or whatever it is. And I have two sips of it. And I storm out afterward frustrated because I can only have two sips of it. So there you go. There's my virtue. Yes. Yes. I've been there a couple of those times and gets a couple sips in. He bought like a, I think he bought a four ounce or a six ounce beer once because he knew like, I may not finish this and be a waste of money. And he didn't finish it. It was six ounces and he got about three ounces in. But Thanks, man. Alas. As much as we love talking about ourselves, I think we should get into the topic. What do you say, Nick? Yeah, a little conversation. Why not? Yeah, so I think I think the topic of this colloquium, of this conversation, is really just going to be revolved around the most relevant issue um, that we all face in this time. That is what the heck is going on. But more importantly, as Christians... What is a Christian response to this whole situation of the coronavirus? Yeah, I think um, I'm imagining right now, first of all, just this kind of general eye roll from our listeners about another conversation about the coronavirus. But um, I think what? I thought we were the first ones to talk oh, about Oh, really? <laughs> okay, the news is out. No, I, um, I do think we need to take a serious look as Christians, um, you know, about our particular response to the coronavirus, uh, what that means for you know, how we as Christians should be different from the modern world in terms of responding to the coronavirus and, you know, the the call that we have, whatever that might mean. So we'll get into that a little bit, I think. Yeah, absolutely. Awesome. Um, I think the thing that comes to mind firstly for me, though, is, and I really think in my own personal prayer, since this has all started, the big theme has come up is just fear. Um, And I think from the get-go, and yeah, obviously there's a huge need for caution in this situation. And You know, most of the social distancing and quarantine standards are in place and they're saving lives. So it's not those measures in and of themselves where I see fear, but I think I see a lot of fear in when people, in the way that people are interacting with each other. Mm. Um, Even if we're, you know, six feet away, there's just kind of this sense where everybody's on edge and kind of afraid. You know, maybe it's saying hi to a neighbor and they just kind of, you know, wave or don't look at you or whatever it is. Um, maybe it's people ranting on Facebook about, yeah, how everybody needs to stay home so they don't, um, you know, lead to the death of somebody's grandma. But there's just this, there just seems to be this real sense of fear. And I don't think fear is a Christian response. 
Right. Absolutely. Yeah. I think, you know, I'm trying to examine my own life because I see a lot of those things that you were mentioning in myself when I'm around. I was, you know, I was just at the grocery store, whatever it was, two hours ago. And there's, you know, just this sense that I need to remain, you know, away from, you know, whoever I'm walking down the aisle next to, or, you know, there's this weird sense that I also can't talk to whoever I'm walking by. Yeah, <laughs> not yeah, not only do I have to stay away from them, but I also shouldn't talk to them for some reason. I think yeah. fear is a little bit strong. Maybe I'm just, you know, being a little bit prideful, but I, fear is a little bit strong for what I'm feeling. I think maybe it's just a, like an over-caution. It's just, it's just this, this anxiety that kind of, I guess, exacerbates itself or portrays itself mm-hmm. as just like this over over cautionary kind of um, experience. I don't, I don't know if that makes sense, but um, it's fear is a little bit strong. I think what it is is like, it, it's just a being too cautious, um, I think is maybe something that people could sympathize with a little more. Okay. Would yeah. you say, would you say you sense any fear in your own heart? Um, oh gosh. Yeah. You know, I think, I think the root is fear. Um, I think a lot of what it is, though, in my own heart is just worrying about whether or not someone, how someone's going to react if I try to engage them Mm -hmm. or, you know, if I, you know, reach out to shake their hand, which might be totally wrong. Or if I, you know, just try and say, hey, or maybe get, you know, within four feet of them and not six feet, you know, Mm -hmm. when I talk to them or, you know, just being over cautionary about what their reaction is going to be if I were to try and reach out charitably, you know? Right. Yeah, absolutely. I think, yeah, I do think fear is, it's a human thing. You know, it's something that is just a natural part of our experience of uncertainty as human beings. Um, But I also think that fear is something that should look different from for a Christian. And I don't know that that means that you should have no sense of a feeling of fear or anxiety within you. But I think we're called to not be overcome by that fear. Right. And I think especially in circumstances like this. Right. Yeah, I guess the question with that, and that's a, that's a great point. I, I guess the question is, like, how does that show its face practically? You know, when I'm walking around the grocery store, when I'm out you know, going for a run and I run by somebody or, you know, how does that... Mm. How does mm-hmm. that principle of, you know, not being led by fear show itself and, how, you know, show its face? How, how, what does that look like for me and for you practically, I think, is the, is the question. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You know, this whole time we're thinking, I'm just thinking of uh, one of my favorite passages in Scripture. It's from the first letter of St. John. And it's kind of, it's a passage where I really, and I'll read it for you in a moment, but it's really a passage where I think the sacred writer really seems to set fear up as the opposite of love. And I think it's a powerful passage. And I, I know you asked about the practicals, but I think before we get to the practicals, I think it's really important to start with, okay, what is this? We're talking about don't have fear, but what is that? What does that even mean on a spiritual level before we talk about what does that mean for how we actually act? Cause I think that's a harder question to answer, but I think we can get there by starting at least with the spiritual. All right, fine. Thanks, Nick. So the passage I am thinking of is from 1 John chapter 4. And I think I'll start here with about verse 16. So he says, So we know and believe the love of God has for us. God is love, and he who abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. In this is love perfected with us, that we may have confidence for the day of judgment. 
because as he is, so are we in the world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out for fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and he who fears is not perfected in love. So that verse, it's 18. He says, there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. What does it mean that perfect love casts out fear, Nick? I don't know. What do you think, Dylan? <laughs> oh, I'll turn it back on me. Why don't you? Okay. So I think it's a really phenomenal concept to think about how perfect love casts out fear. Because when, when, if I were to ask you what were the opposite of love, what would you say? Like just kind of out of instinct, Nick. Uh, hate. Hate, yeah. Hate or some people might say indifference or apathy even. Um, but the sacred writer calls it, says it's fear. He says, perfect love casts out fear, and there is no fear in love. So if we were loving perfectly, there should be no fear in us. Nick, I can't say, have you experienced that, like, on maybe an interior level at all? Like, maybe just kind of this, like, I picture, like, a a graph, and it's like an inverse correlation. Like, the more love there is, the less fear there is. The more fear there is, the less love. Is that Does that make sense on an experiential level to you at all? Hang on. Let's talk about inverse correlation for a second. Holy oh, smokes. Shoot. That's I a theology the teacher there. Hang on. <laughs> what is inverse correlation? No, I'm kidding. Nick's a math guy for those of you who <laughs> okay. don't know. No. Um, gosh, I, I'm not quite sure how to respond. I, I, so here's kind of the thing that I... You know, I think about in, in love versus fear. I think about the fruit, right? So, I, you know, when I'm, I'm, you know, performing an act of love or an act of charity, I feel this, this peace or I, I just kind of know in that moment that that's the right thing that I should do. It's just kind of a natural, you know, peace-filled kind of response to wh- whatever action I'm taking. I think with fear, it's surrounded by a lot of confusion, a lot of anxiety, you know, what should I do, yeah. this and that, so yeah, on and so forth. So, yeah, I think just kind of looking at the fruits um, are, are a good way to kind mm. of distinguish between between love and fear. I'm not sure if that's what you were getting yeah. at. but You'll know them by know. their fruits. I feel like somebody said that I once, I don't right? know. Probably Dan, honestly. Yeah, Dan. <laughs> or, I don't know, maybe God in Scripture. Um, <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah, so I think you bring up a fascinating point there. Yeah, you think of like that fear, that anxiety, that paralyzation. And Nick, you know, I knew, I know you and I are both, people, you know, we've experienced temptations towards maybe scrupulosity before. And I think what you're saying sounds a lot like that. Like, and for those of you who maybe haven't heard the term scrupulosity, it's basically, it's this tendency to be overly concerned about your sins in the standpoint of, yeah, maybe you think a venial sin is a mortal sin. Something is not a sin at all. It's sinful and you shouldn't do it. Um, it comes out as desire to please the Lord but it can be really unhealthy because you're living out of a sense of constant fear. Would you say that's the case? Absolutely. Yeah, I've definitely felt that in my life, and it's a prison. Yeah, fear, fear imprisons us. Yeah, and I think that's one of the fascinating things about this whole situation is that having experienced those temptations myself and you know, by the grace of God having some extent of freedom from that, I, I look around me and I think I see a lot of people living out of scrupulosity, whether they're faithful Christians or not. There's this fear that's dominating their life because they're afraid, yeah, that maybe I go out and I touch the wrong thing at the grocery store. I'm going to contract the virus and then I'm going to contaminate my grandmother or my mother or my sister, whoever that might be. And I think that's a very scrupulous mindset. I think it's, it's the product of 
yeah, a conscience that maybe isn't formed well, a conscience that's very fearful. And yeah, it comes out of good intentions, right? We have these good intentions. We want to keep everybody safe. Like we're doing the right things as far as keeping distance, social distance and quarantine and all that. But when it comes to a virus that's so unpredictable and uncertain, it's very, very easy to fall into those temptations. Because I can, I can make sure everybody's safe if I just stay in my room and don't do anything. Right. Absolutely. There are causes, I think, just kind of to sum up, there are little things in our lives where we're used to doing and just, you know, instantly in a reactionary way where now all of a sudden we have to think about, is this wrong? Is this wrong for me to do this? Is it wrong for me to, you know... Get within, you know, five feet of somebody. Is it, is it wrong for me to, um, you know, just do this little thing that otherwise would be just totally normal in, you know, a normal society? So, um, right. yeah, that's definitely a cause for concern and fear. And we have to ask ourselves, you know, um, just in new ways, you know, how, how it is I can act out of love in those situations, you know? So, yeah. yeah. And there's a lot of social pressure too. I think if I went on Facebook right now, I'd probably find maybe at least a half dozen posts about, Somebody saying how we need to stay home. Um, we need to, yeah, not lift restrictions too soon, which, yeah, maybe that's valid. That's absolutely true. Uh, right. We need to be cautious and careful about when we do that. But, yeah, there's a good chance when I go on social media or even media, you know, the news in general, that the majority of what I see is going to be something that maybe fuels that fear. Would absolutely. you say that? Absolutely, yeah. I mean, we've, we've definitely seen during this time of coronavirus, especially just like how— um, how much of a power the media has over, mm. over our actions and, you know, just the way in which it drives fear, you know, so, so, you know, such and such example of someone that did some little thing wrong and now they're the object of public scrutiny. And, yeah. you know, that makes us wonder, you know, oh, you know, shucks, should I, you know, behave in a certain way, so on and so forth. So media just, it, it's totally driving, especially during this time, you know, just this kind of fear-based, um, way in which we're behaving in society, you know, it's just, it's hard. It's hard to overcome. Hard, really yeah. hard to overcome. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, there's a few things that are coming to mind for me as far as like suggestions in the practical and thinking about, yeah, okay, if, if fear is this, you know, scrupulous type reaction, if it's this thing that's coming from an unhealthy place, then how do we respond? Um, the first suggestion I have maybe is something, something I actually did during Holy Week. Um, I realized that I found myself checking these stats on the coronavirus every single day or maybe multiple times a day. And this was leading up to Holy week. I'm like, wait, I know it's increasing. I know the curve's going up. Like I know it's getting worse. Is it really going to hurt me if I just don't look for a few days? So I did that for Holy week and, and I, I, you know, stopped checking news on my phone. It was, I called it a kind of media fast. I didn't get on social media. I would watch, you know, maybe the news occasionally if I saw it on somewhere and, you know, I just kind of keep myself in the loop, but I, I refrain from additional, from intentionally checking it. And I found that was a really healthy thing for me. I found that I was less worried. I was less on edge because of that. And so I think that's maybe one thing is just maybe not because I think we need to know what's going on, but not obsessing about how often we're checking it. Uh, maybe it's, yeah, once a day from a trusted news source, you're filling yourself in, but you're not you're not making that like this obsessive habit. Mm, right. Absolutely. Yeah. Tell you what, inverse correlation and statistics. Hey oh, man, no. we need to sign him up for a math class to Yikes. teach. Holy smokes. Anyway, I think one, um, one thing that I've, I've been trying to do to kind of, you know, cause I think what happens with fear is we kind of turn in on ourselves. You know, we, mm -hmm. 
um, we start thinking about ourselves oh, yeah. more often and, and preserving ourselves and, you know, thinking about what's good for me, et cetera. Um, one thing I've, I've been trying to do, you know, during this time to counteract that is, um, starting, you know, writing letters to my friends, um, trying yeah. to just reach out in that more personal way. That's kind of different than zoom or a text or a phone call. I don't know. I don't know if you've ever gotten a letter and it just seems more personal than other, other forms of communication. So I've been trying to reach out in that way. And that's kind of helped me overcome my, you know, selfish tendencies to, you know, think about how, you know, terrible life's going for me or whatever it is, right. you know, my pouting. Yeah. yeah. Another thing I can think of too is, um, you know, we're talking about the grocery store and I think we all experience probably some extent of just like a little bit of fear. We're a little on edge when we're going somewhere where we know there's like a slightly higher risk, even if it's something that's essential that we need to do. And I think maybe it's just like intentionally exposing ourselves to that. And I don't mean exposing yourself to the virus, but like, this is something that I think I've learned in my own life and for my own mental health and spiritual health is that sometimes those things you're afraid of, you just need to do and let yourself like experience that fear. And I think the fear, because the fear tells you, okay, I'm only going to go to the store, you know, once a month. I'm going to maybe buy all the toilet paper I need right now and then just not go back, right? That's, that's a fear-based response. And so maybe it's like, you know what? I need to go to the grocery store. I'm going to go every week. Um, I'm every not going to worry about it. <laughs> no, I don't know about every day. Nick. <laughs> okay. You're pushing right. it now. Just asking. But, um, <laughs> but yeah, just whatever it is for you that gives you that fear. But it's like, you know, it's something that's good for you. something you're supposed to do. Just do it anyway and expose yourself to that fear. And maybe that's, yeah, when you go to the grocery store, like only use hand sanitizer once after you go. Don't use it. Like don't carry it around with you. And I, I don't know what you guys do. I just know there's a tendency, tendency for me to be overly cautious and right. carry around wipes everywhere. And like, yeah, there are precautions we can take. Have the wipes, have the hand sanitizer, but just don't freak out about it. Gotcha. Yeah, I'm with you. I'm with you on that. I don't know if uh, anybody else feels this way, but I just feel absolutely terrified to simply go up and walk up to my neighbor's door and knock on their on their door and ask them how they're doing, maybe offer them something to eat or whatever it is, you know, I uh, <laughs> that absolutely terrifies me. And just think about how simple and meaningful thing that would be uh, for someone who, you know, maybe it's an older, you know, person mm-hmm. who lives by themselves, who, you know, um, just needs a, you know, 10 minute conversation to up their spirits during this time, you know, whatever it is. Um, I, I don't know, just simple acts like that to, to kind right. of get over our fear-based mindset, I think it'd be really, um, just right. a really great thing to do. Yeah. Do one thing you're afraid of every day. How about that for a life philosophy? You need to chill out, man. I'm going to pretend I didn't hear that. Ah, uh, so <laughs> okay. into the fear once again. Wow. Exactly. Wow. I'm a coward. I take back the virtuous compliment I gave him earlier. <laughs> yeah. Was so, that on air that I gave that or was that? I, I think I so. Remember. Okay. Well, now it is. If it wasn't yep. before, I'll tell right. you what. I think Nick's virtuous. <laughs> okay. Took all 30 Sometimes. minutes for our listeners to find out I wasn't virtuous. There we go. <laughs> oh man, we're exposed. It's okay. They still think I'm holy. <laughs> all right. No. Really? I don't know. Okay. I haven't asked them. All right. We'll have to dig a little deeper in a couple of the next couple okay. episodes here. Okay. <laughs> All right. So we've got a few suggestions on fear, right? Expose yourself not to the virus, but to fear. Um, allow yourself to sit with that. And I think that can be really healing because um, the response is to avoid it, but it's something I think that needs to be confronted. Um, yeah. So whatever that is, just let yourself experience that emotion of fear. I think what else is a Christian response? You know, I think of, you know, hopefully when people think of Christian the idea of a Christian, they think of somebody like Mother Teresa, right. you know, out there serving the poor. Like, yeah, what are some ways, you know, how can we be Christ's hands and feet during this time? Right. I'll tell you one thing, and 
I think we can take this a little bit incorrectly sometimes. But I'll tell you one thing that, you know, Jesus kind of promises in Scripture is that, you know, his followers and Christians will be different than everyone else, non-Christians, you know. So um, whatever it is that we decide to do, um, whatever act we decide to make out of charity or as a follower of Christ— you know, we can probably be assured that that's going to be a different reaction than someone who's not a Christian. It's going to look different, and it might even look weird. Um, Mm. You know, so I think we need to think about that as Christians is, you know, am I just kind of following the the normal, you know, flock of, you know, non-Christians or just kind of lukewarm Christians that, you know, don't really have any, you know, sort of spiritual life outside of, you know, Mass on Sundays or now watching Mass online on Sundays? Mm. Um, You know, I I think we need to think about whatever, you know, we're choosing to do, whether or not that is, you know, again, just looks different. Um, I, I don't have a specific example at the moment, but. Yeah. Um, so maybe it's you think, uh, what would an atheist do and do the opposite? Is that what you're saying? I Nick? think that's exactly right. No. <laughs> is that what you're getting from what I'm saying? No, just be prepared um, to just get out of your comfort zone a little bit. Mm. You know, be prepared. Um, knocking on a neighbor's door is probably not a normal thing, even mm. though you think of it as that. Um, I'm, I'm willing to bet that that 70-year-old, you know, war veteran uh, below, you know, that lives right below you, that's a real-life example, that's my situation, mm. um, does not get a lot of people knocking on his door. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm, I'm willing to bet that it doesn't happen every day. Um, mm. You know, I, I'm willing to bet that as you walk along in the grocery store in the aisle that you know, someone who maybe hasn't had a conversation with anyone other than their spouse for the last, you know, month, um, doesn't get someone, you know, stopping them in the aisle and, you know, asking them how their day is, you know, every time they go to the grocery store. So just be prepared for it to be different and weird. Yeah. This makes me think of Nick, when you were in focus, did you ever, uh, go out, we call it like barehanding or barehand evangelization where you just talk to strangers, whether it's on campus, you go up and just seek out a conversation and try to yeah, share the Lord's love with them. Dang, you really asked me the tough questions. And I'm had to say, I was a complete wuss when it came to this. I didn't really do any of that at all when I was oh, well. in focus. <laughs> so you can go ahead and tell us about your holiness here. Oh, oh okay. <laughs> you know, or my lack thereof. Um, yeah, it was something, you know, it definitely, and I'll preface it with this. It was never a core experience of our ministry. Um, Cause one of the things I think we found and anyone who's worked in evangelization in general, especially in the modern world, I think has found that, yeah, it just happens a lot more successfully through relationship hmm. um, and through yeah, just encountering and getting to know others. So rarely is rarely is ever, someone ever converted by a random encounter with a stranger on the street. Right. However, this is something we do occasionally um, just to, yeah, maybe it's spread, you know, the, the, message of the ministry or just kind of get the name out there or whatever it might be. But yeah, just encounter people on campus. And this was a terrifying thing. Um, but you would always feel better after like afterwards. It's like, wow, like I overcame that fear of talking to strangers or of yeah. Sharing something really personal with me about my relationship with Christ with a stranger. And like, I overcame that fear afterwards and it wasn't, it doesn't make it all that much easier to do, although it gets easier. But I think as we, it's just building habits and that's what virtue is. It's a habit. And if we can build a habit of doing things we're afraid of, we can be less afraid of it ultimately. And here we are back on fear again, huh? Right. Absolutely. Yeah. I think just to, um, you know, to touch on that again, it's really easy to say, 
Yeah, you know, going out and waving my Bible around and running around the grocery store, you know, with waving and waving it in the air would be, you know, I could I could do that. I could go I could go and do that and you know shout out the word of God in the grocery store and you know th- I mean that might be whatever an okay thing. Um, but I think a good principle that I heard once is you know when you're trying to start you know forming virtuous habits or you know to start growing in charity, don't think about so much as what you could do. Think about what you would do. What's something that you would do, not that you could do. Mm. Just repeat. Just to repeat. Yeah. I would do this. I mean, I could do this harder thing, but I'll tell you what I would do that would help me grow. Um, mm. I think that's something to think about. You know, well, what is it that I, I would actually do to grow in charity or to grow in virtue in this situation? So Yeah, so actually and, getting more practical. Right. Because I think that's the thing, too, is fear lives in the hypothetical. It's, you know, if I did this, then that would happen. Right. Um, but I think the solution, yeah, love ultimately is something I'm really passionate about. Um, if you're going to love the world you have to love the person right next to you. And I think there's a lot of talk about, yeah, love and yeah, being kind to everyone and not being a jerk. And and like, I feel like it's a value, like love in that sense of like, yeah, accept tolerance, love everyone is a very esteemed value in the modern world. But what I a lot of times don't see a lot of is people loving the person right next to them. How often do you see somebody who talks a big game about how there needs to be more love in the world, more compassion, more tolerance, whatever it is, but then they hate their roommate or they hate their sister or whoever it is, but they just can't seem to love. They can love the abstract concept of somebody. Maybe it's a gay person. Maybe it's a homeless person. Like you can love that person when they're not tangible, but when that person's someone who breathes your air and maybe you have to encounter their obnoxious habits every now and then, how are you loving them? Yeah. So I think that's the question first. And it, it comes to the, yeah, those people we live with, those people we live next with, those people we encounter anyway, how are we loving them in a tangible way? Right. Quit breathing my air, man. Yeah, see, <laughs> okay. yeah, I mean, we're not good at this. Step but, back. I think you're five feet, 10 inches from me right now. Yeah. <laughs> so another thing I think of too, as far as a, yeah, what's a practical thing, um, giving blood. I mean, it's something I think since a lot of people are staying home and not going out, I know there's a big need for at hospitals. Um, that's a way you can, yeah, just give a little bit of yourself. They're pretty sure that the disease doesn't spread through blood donors. So I think that's a good way. Um, yeah, maybe it's talking to your neighbors, figuring out if they need any help, just getting to know and encounter those people next to you. Obviously, doctors and nurses, you know, are absolutely being Christ's hands and feet right now, especially those in the ICU serving those who, who are most affected by this. There's, there's all sorts of ways, even if you're limited, staying at home. And I think just following the promptings of the Holy Spirit on your heart too is important um, and paying attention to who are those people that you can't impact. And maybe that's just the neighbor right next to you. Absolutely, yeah. I think a general question is to just ask, you know, oneself and your day-to-day life and who, who, is, it, who is it that I'm, I'm running with or that I usually run with if I'm not stuck in my house? you know, for the coronavirus, who, who is it that I, you know, I can reach or, you know, I can be Christ to, or I can be a Christian towards, you know, during this time. And I, I think just, just ask yourself, what's, what's one thing that I, I would do um, yeah. to reach out to that person? Gosh. And that brings up so much, gosh, there's so much to talk about here, but like, let's take the Alabama stay at home order, for instance, it allows for a number of things. It allows for outdoor activity, right? When you're spending time, you can spend time with, I think, what is it? Less than 10 people. 
and so. you keep six feet social distance, right? So the perfect example of this, going on hike. I went on a hike with my parents. I went on a hike with a couple friends, uh, Nick and Dan here, actually, producer Dan and and the old Nick right here. <laughs> and, yeah, you kind of naturally, Nick. hiking is actually really good thing right now because you kind of naturally walk about five or six feet apart from each other. Wouldn't you say that's true, Nick? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I tell you what, you know, I, th- I think maybe we got within, you know, four or five feet at times, but whoa, you know, whoa, don't whoa, tell the police, whoa. okay? <laughs> yeah. Right. But like there's this natural distance. You don't walk right up next to each other. Absolutely. Anyway. You're right. Um, and yeah, so go on a hike, find a couple friends. Like you actually, you need to be doing these things. Right. Um, which I think brings us to kind of another point on how does a Christian respond? Like, I think especially as Catholics, like, not just not even just as Catholics, but for Christian community, is so important, right? Like we're the body of Christ. Like we experience, we encounter God's love through others, and I think I think it's important that to whatever extent we can safely and legally, we need to be encountering others. Absolutely, tangibly, tangibly, physically. You know, there's. I mean, Zoom is great, and everybody and their mothers on Zoom nowadays. Yeah. I feel like, but you, yeah. you know, and. For, for me, my stock in Zoom, probably a good idea. What's that? Oh. Not really. I'm not giving investment <laughs> okay. advice on this. Probably too late now. Anyway, so yeah, I mean, everybody's on Zoom, and that was a great thing for our community for the first, you know, whatever it was, two or three weeks. Oh, and I got so bored of it. It's still, it's still okay. You know, we played trivia or whatever it is. Um, but there's a sense in which, like, I, I just my heart just starts starts to grow restless, and I want to like I want to see people face to face, and you know, even if it is six feet apart, and I want to. You know, there's something so tangible about the life, the lives that we live as human beings. So we, we have to be living together tangibly and physically in community. Um, virtue, you know, uh, the virtual environment is just it's not going to do it for us, you know, at, to a certain point. So, And that's natural, Nick. That is oh so natural. Um, I think that longing we have in our hearts, and I think you all experience to some extent, for just human connection and sometimes even something more than a Zoom call is, is a very real thing. And that's a desire that you need. You know, I think, I think one of the things with, with this whole situation is we're all talking about physical health and we're doing all the right things for physical health, but there's not a lot in place for our spiritual or emotional health right now. Um, people, I think, are feeling very emotionally isolated. I know that because, you know, I experienced that to an extent. You experienced that to an extent. Um, I, yeah, I think you'd be hard-pressed to find somebody who has not been, whose mental health or emotional state has not been impacted to some extent by this. And so I think I think there needs to be more conversation, more colloquium. Should oh, I drop the word out again? Loud, Dylan. Here, we, Here go. we go. Here he goes again About, with his little jokes. I don't always drop <laughs> Latin phrases in my conversation, <laughs> okay. but when I do, it's the word colloquium. We're gonna cut that out right from the podcast. Anyway, okay. <laughs> <laughs> all right, all right, fair enough. Um, let's see if we can uh, jump back on this train and and start riding it again. Um, Yes, we need to have more conversation about just that, about how are we taking care of our mental health and spiritual health. Because right. I don't think it's getting talked about. Right. And I don't think it can be satisfied and, you know, fulfilled, again, solely in the virtual environment. Nope. Yeah, so whatever you can do, if that's hiking, if that's, you have to go on a hike every week, do it. Ex- like, experience that community in whatever way you best can. Call those friends. Catch up with the friends you haven't talked to in a while. Right. It's so important. I think it's ingrained in our hearts. And I think that's part of the Christian life too, because I think of Christ in his incarnation when he became man, 
he took on everything that we are, you know, and this wasn't just like some spiritual thing, you know, it was an early church heresy that he only was in like a spiritual sense, man. And in reality, he, he was man. God became man. And as a result, that changes how we live because God himself desires that we encounter him through others. Right. There's no doubt about that. There's no, there's no doubt that that's an important part of our lives as human beings. So again, we have to ask ourselves, you know, how it is we're going to do that in this, you know, time of social distancing, you know, where we have to have that. Um, there comes a certain point at which we, there's just, you know, no ifs or buts about it. So, yeah, absolutely. And I think, I think another thing that comes to mind too is, um, I think hope is very much, I mean, it's one of the theological virtues. It's absolutely faith, hope, and charity. You know, those are the three theological virtues and hope, you know, we've talked about love, you know, the opposite of fear and, and, you know, we can talk more about faith, but I think hope is really important too, because as Christians, that's something that I think we should have a lot of. And, you know, I think of, you know, March 26th, this is a few weeks ago now, but we experienced the Annunciation. And so the Annunciation is nine months before Christmas because it's when Jesus was consumed in the womb of Mary, miraculously. And the angel Gabriel brought that message, the news of salvation to her. And like that news is still valid. Like we, like our eternal, the good news of our eternal salvation is still present, regardless of whatever state we're in, regardless of how many people are dying, regardless, like our good news is, is still valid. Is it not? Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, we're sitting here in, you know, Easter Saturday and the Easter octave, you know, I'm mm. thinking about, you know, just the mystery of Jesus rising from the grave, you know, and just the power of that. Um, yeah. You know, it, it definitely requires us to take a look at our lives, especially right now, and to ask ourselves, where, you know, where we're rooted, what our root is in, you know, is our, is our primary, you know, center uh, focused on our earthly life, or are we looking to, you know, to heaven and hope? Right. You know, are we, are we looking to where our, you know, our, our real final home is, um, you know, because that's how we should be living as Christians, you know, um, basing our you know, lives and the way in which we live around that, you know, heavenly home that we have, you know, and this Easter is a, is a great reminder to, to live that way. Yeah, absolutely. And I just think, you know, I think fear requires us to take a deeper look. Like Nick, what would you say if, if you're afraid, if people are afraid right now, what are they afraid of? Um, I think the, the big fear is just this fear of, well, it, I think it depends on the age actually, but mm-hmm. I, you know, I think the, the big thing is the fear of getting relatives sick being responsible for a death. I think that's a, right. that's a huge right. fear. Um, and there's also, of course, yeah. the obvious, you know, I'm, I'm afraid of losing my life. You know, I'm, I'm, right. I'm afraid of that. Right. So, so th- that was a leading question. I didn't tell Nick I was going to ask a leading question, right. but like the reality is like, ultimately, if you really think about it, what is the fear boiled down to death, right? We're right. afraid of ourselves dying or a loved one dying. And I think from the start of this, this whole situation, one of the things I just had a profound sense of, I think particularly in prayer, is just like, yeah, since Christ conquered death and those of us, you know, with relationship in Christ and, um, you know, we to, can have a certain extent of, of hope in our salvation. And there's, with that, like there is no reason to fear because ultimately if we're fearing death, we're fearing the very thing that Christ has overcome and promised right. to those who trust in him. 
they don't have to fear. Right. Absolutely. You know, I think we have maybe a, do you have that quote from C.S. Lewis that I, that I think we were, um, yeah. that we were maybe going to discuss and share, but you know, C.S. Lewis is a just incredible figure in the 20th century that, you know, shed some light, I think on, on this kind of fear-based way in which we live, um, you know, a lot of times. And that's a real question, right? This is, are we, are we operating on this fear of death? And if we are, we need to change because that's not the way we should be living as Christians. Yes, that's, that's, that's exactly what Jesus called, you know, came to defeat was death and to overcome right. it for us. Right. And yeah, I so. think, yeah, I think first off, and, and we can read the quote in a moment, but like, yeah, just first off, I think it's just important to realize, like, if we're afraid, if we're afraid of death, like, why is it? And should we really be? Right. Because I think when you, when you name that fear, when you make it tangible, it's easier to reject. I think it's easy to reject, okay, yeah, like I don't need to be afraid of this. Right. And it's a grace. It's a grace to trust that I will come out the other side of death alive. Mm-hmm. You know, so that's, that's not a you right. know, yeah. easy, that's not yeah. a natural human thing to believe that when I go into the grave, I'm going to come out, you know, and I'm, I'm, I'm going to rise just as Jesus did. You know, that's, that's an incredible grace that Jesus gives us to actually believe that, to actually have faith that that's true, you know, so... Um, I mean, we just, we need to understand, you know, that that's, you know, not going to be an easy belief or an easy switch that we turn on in our lives, you know? Right, right. Absolutely. I mean, and to say that I have no fear period, I think would not be being honest. You know, I, yeah, I fear things. I fear the grocery store right now. It's quite terrifying, <laughs> honestly. Man, I just want my avocados. <laughs> oh, Nick's, Nick's a typical millennial, by the way. He loves avocados on his toast. <laughs> Just want to go get my avocados without being disturbed. Is that how you say that? Go ahead. Anyway, anyway. <laughs> well, let's go to Mr. Lewis. I find okay. myself quoting um, Clive Staples Lewis quite frequently because he's just a man of great wisdom. However, he has a quote that's relevant. It's not exactly applicable to this situation. We'll talk about why. But without further ado, here it is. So C.S. Lewis is writing in the, the time of you know, where there's a big threat of being bombed in England, right? So he says, how are we to live in an atomic age? I am tempted to reply, why, as you would have lived in the 16th century when plague visited London almost every year, or as you would have lived in a Viking age when raiders from Scandinavia might land and cut your throat any night, or indeed, as you are living in an age of cancer or an age of syphilis, an age of paralysis, an age of air raids, an age of railway accidents, an age of motor accidents. In other words, do not let us begin by exaggerating the novelty of our situation. Believe me, dear sir or madam, you and all whom, whom you love were already sentenced to death before the atomic bomb was invented. And quite a high percentage of us were going to die in unpleasant ways. We had, indeed, one very great advantage over our ancestors, anesthetics, but we have that still. It is perfectly ridiculous to go about whimpering and drawing long faces because the scientists have added one more chance of painful and premature death to a world already bristled with such chances in which death itself was not a chance at all, but a certainty. This is the first point to be made. And our first action to be taken is to pull ourselves together. If we are all going to be destroyed by an atomic bomb, let that bomb, when it comes... Find us doing sensible and human things. Praying, working, teaching, reading, listening to music, bathing the children, playing tennis, chatting to our friends over a pint, 
in a game of darts, not huddled together like frightened sheep and thinking about bombs. Wow. Wow. I noticed that he didn't say anything about talking into a sock with your friends, but that's okay. I feel yeah, I like don't know what he would say about that. <laughs> okay. but, Holy smokes. Wow. I think, I think the first thing just to get out of the way is, because this quote has been brought up a lot, and I think it's gotten different responses. Um, yeah, obviously, like, that doesn't mean we go on with keeping all businesses and schools open and just live as if nothing's different, right? I don't think C.S. Lewis is saying that, and also he could not probably have imagined the situation we're under right now. Um, but I also like to point out that most of the things he lists here, you can still do under quarantine or social distancing. Reading, teaching, praying, working, listening to music, bathing the children, right? Families aren't isolated from each other. Playing tennis, debatable. Chatting to, <laughs> our, chatting to our friends over a pint or game of darts. Like, all these things, like, you can still have community. You can still do normal human things while social distancing, while staying at home. And, in fact, I think there's a lot of, yeah, times in history where we're less mobile, you know, we couldn't just travel wherever we wanted when we wanted. And, you know, the, the tangible community within our very homes and maybe with our neighbors was, was all we had. And, yeah, so I think a lot of these things that are sensible human things are things we can still do. Absolutely. Yeah, you're exactly right. Yeah. Um, so the image that I have in my mind when I think about this quote is just it, an incredibly powerful quote. Wow. You know, and I, have, I have it in my mind, you know, just this, you know, this person who, you know, maybe, maybe it's you or maybe it's me, just, you know, hiding in the corner of their closet, mm. you know, in the dark, huddled like in the, for, you know, just like huddled, grabbing their knees, shivering, whatever it is, in fear. And then whatever that they're afraid of comes and takes them. Mm. And that's the way that they, that's the way that they go. Mm-hmm. You know, just groveling in fear in the corner of their closet. Mm-hmm. You know, and that just, you know, I, I don't know about you, but I, that is like the exact opposite of the way that I want to go. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? I, 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 I want to go and, you know, Jesus says in scripture, you know, there's no greater love than to lay down your life for your friends. You know what I, that's kind of the, the picture that I have in my mind for the death that I would like to have, you know, it's just, I, I went out in charity, you know? So I think that's the message is, you know, whatever it is that we go, let's, let's go out having, you know, been charitable towards whoever was around us. Let's go out having, you know, had, you know, having Christ and, you know, the joy of the resurrection on our minds. You know, that's, yeah. that's kind of the general message of this, of this quote, I think that is so powerful to me. Right. You know. Yeah. Which, what strikes me is he basically, he says, we're all, we were all already doomed to die. You know, like in some of us in very unpleasant ways. Right. And I think, you know, I think of the old, the old saying, right? The, the two things that are certain in life are death and taxes, right? Well, mm. we all got a big tax refund, didn't we? <laughs> or some of us, at <laughs> I least. haven't yet. But Sheesh. anyway, so taxes, but let's just not talk about taxes. I don't know how to apply that. But <laughs> death, right? Death is one of, the, one of the few things we're like granted as a certainty. As a certainty in life. We're going to die. So how are we living to make it worth it? To make this temporary life that we have worth it. All right. You know what, like, I just going to throw this out here. You know what some of the most impressive people are? I don't know if you have in your mind, like, just a, a 99-year-old lady who's living like she was 20. 
You know, she's like, she lives by herself. Her, you know, husband may have died, you know, 20 years ago, whatever it is. But, you know, she's doing simple things. She's taking care of her garden. She's going to the grocery store. She's, you know, having her cup of tea at 2 p.m. You know, she's Mm -hmm. inviting her grandkids over for dinner. You know, she's just like living life authentically Mm -hmm. and joyfully, knowing full well that she's probably going to go sometime soon. Mm. You know what I mean? I'm just mm-hmm. so impressed by someone who lives their yeah. life like that and just in joy and in peace, you know? Right. Um, and I'm not saying, I, you know, I want to be a 99-year-old lady, but... Some well, people I, might say you are <laughs> basically <laughs> Thanks, a 99-year-old lady. I'll tell you what, I've heard that I look like that before. But no, I... I uh, <laughs> Face for radio. <laughs> it's just in. No, but I I do want to live my life that way. Yeah, you know, just, just just this complete freedom from from death, you know. Sort of ninety nine yeah. year old lady going out and like messing with her garden with a smile on her face, you know. I love yeah. that. Yeah, absolutely. Let's go. <laughs> Let's go. That's inspiring, right there. Um, yeah, I think that's just so true, though. I think, I think we need the. And you talk about practicals, right? It's like, well, how can you just live every day being grateful for those things you can do? Right. And yeah, maybe it's taking the time. You know, we've talked. I know Nick and I have talked a lot about like, yeah, like there's time to really cultivate intentional hobbies. Like I've played a whole lot of guitar in the last few weeks and like really tried to like get good at, get a lot better at that. Um, Yeah, there's so much that we can do and just how can we do that without fear? And that doesn't mean you have to be reckless. Like you don't have to live a normal life. I don't think you have to be um, doing these things that are endangering others and going like the only way to live a normal life is to go to a sports event with 30,000 people. Right. Absolutely. It's not about the big things. Yeah. That's not what we're saying. It's about how do you live the little things? Right. Absolutely. Yeah. Some of the most, again, some of the most like people that I admire and people, you know, I just envision in my mind, maybe it's this 99 year old lady again. We'll go go back to her. I mean, she's walking. What should we name her? Doris? Yeah. yeah, Doris. That sounds like a good name. Yeah. So Doris is walking along this trail and she's just fascinated by the littlest things. Whoa, a clover. Look at that. Mm. And she stops and she's fascinated by this little thing that I didn't even notice when I was walking by her. Mm. Whoa, Bert. She's just totally fit. Doris is just totally fascinated by the little things that I just hadn't noticed before. You know, there's this sense of wonder that I live my life with, you know, in the, in the normal life, you know, and I, I just feel like I, you know, I want to live that way, especially now, you know, um, whatever that might be that I should take wonder in. Yeah. Wonder, wonder. Yeah. I wonder. Yeah. Classic. Classic. That's, that's one of Nick's sayings there. He'll be soon to find out. Classic. How many E's are in that? At least two. At least two Has E's. Has to be at least two E's. Okay. That was a trivia question. We, we won't go there. Okay. <laughs> to kind of round that whole train of thought out, I think, yeah, absolutely. Like, how can we bring that joy, um, that peace, that love, all the fruits of the Holy Spirit you find in Galatians 5? Like, how do we... How do we live those out? And I think it starts with the interior life. It starts with prayer. It starts with knowing the Lord, Jesus Christ, first and foremost, and encountering him on a daily basis in prayer and scripture. Because those are the ways that we can do no matter what, whether or not we can gather in community. And I think also with that, hope. Hope is so important. Like we believe in a God who conquered death for us. And there's no room for fear in that. Right. There's no room for having fear of something that we're not supposed to be afraid of. We're afraid of something that's going to happen to every single one of us no matter what. Right. Yeah. It's ridiculous when you really think about it. Hmm. Um, and I think we really need to strive for yeah, being firm in that belief, being firm in that faith, and being firm in that hope. 
Absolutely. Just a couple of takeaways that I, you know, came into my mind here at the last moment. When we're asking ourselves as Christians, you know, how it is we can, you know, act as though we're Christians or grow in charity. Don't ask what could you do. Ask what would you do? What's one thing that I would do or I could grow in charity? And the second thing is just live life like our 99-year-old friend, Doris. Mm. What would Doris do? That's W-W-D-D. a great question. Just go ahead and ask yourself. What would Doris do? The the double W double D as they say. <laughs> I love that. What a tagline. <laughs> Goodness me. Okay. Anyway, the WWDD. <laughs> Almost sounds like WWE or That is so WWE. ridiculous. All right. All right. Fair enough. <laughs> wow, absolutely. Yeah, and I just I'll just come back and just reiterate that message of hope, I think. Um yeah, just recalling the hope and the joy that we should have in our salvation and our external state shouldn't affect that. You know, I think of, you know, Father Jacques Philippe wrote a book called Interior Freedom and it's all about like, yeah, having this interior life, this interior joy and peace that isn't affected by the external. And that's what the saints were. You know, the saints were people that could be in a uh, death camp in the Holocaust and just be totally at peace. And, and yeah, that doesn't, like, just because we're baptized doesn't give us that automatically. It gives us the grace to work towards that, right? Um, and it gives us tremendous grace and freedom in that. But, yeah, how are we working towards having that interior freedom is, think, I think what we really need to be striving for most in this time. So, anyway, how do we sign this thing off? Um, I don't know. I feel like I need to sing us a song to kind of bring us out. What do you think? Anything in like a silly songs with Larry type thing? Or? I don't know. I'll just kind of sing as I feel. Here we go. Everybody ready? Right. Yep. I'm ready. All right. <clears throat> no, I'm kidding. All right. <laughs> oh, dang it. That is actually going to get a song. No, really, we appreciate y'all taking this time out of your day or car ride or whatever it is to listen to us. And hopefully we'll uh, be around for many more. Yeah. This has been a conversation. Hope you're having good conversations yourself. love.